Welcome to The Prism Effect, a podcast with me, Larry Knoll, lead pastor of The Light in Kent. Just as prisms break light up into its spectral colors, I hope to help you discover the scripture's meaning for your life. I want to welcome you if you are watching our live stream today that uh, this is The Light in Kent. You have joined the service of The Light in Kent. It's going on right now. And uh, we're so glad that you are here. We're so glad that you could be with us. We wish you were here in body, though. And if you ever can get a chance to come and join us, we would love to meet you. Some of the most wonderful people in the world, I believe. I didn't even hear an amen from those wonderful people because they're so humble, too. See, they won't brag on themselves, but I will. And I'll just say they show a lot of love here. So if you need a hug or a, or a fist bump or a handshake or just a smile, this is a great place to get it. OK, so that's that. Yeah, there we go. So, you know, we had to get we had to kind of come out of our cocoon there a little bit. But um, this is the light in Kent. We're in Kent, Ohio. My name's Larry Knoll. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so glad to be able to be um, bringing this message today. You know, it's a part of a seven-part series that we're focusing on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we're going to just dive deep into our, what the Lord Jesus taught us about praying. This wasn't just a bedtime prayer or a prayer to say at a sporting event or a prayer to say at a funeral or it's not a ceremonial prayer is what I'm trying to tell you. It's not just something to use when you don't know what to say, but there was such great meaning behind this prayer, such great meaning. And so we're just taking it. We broke it into seven parts. We're on week two here. And um, I know that prayer sometimes can just, you know, kind of get on, I don't know, paralyze us. We just don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. So we stay away from it, maybe, because we're not we're not in familiar territory. We're not used to uh, praying in the way that Jesus said to pray. But I'm here to tell you that's exactly why he gave us these instructions on how to pray. His disciples asked about it. He taught them this. Then when he was with the multitudes, he taught this with the multitudes, what he taught with his disciples. And we are trying, and I want to encourage you and let you know that I don't get it right every day, but where I'm trying to encourage each one of you to develop a prayer life that's greater than the prayer life that you have. I want you to expand what you think a prayer life should be. If you're praying once a day, I applaud that. Wonderful job. But how about we pray three times a day? Just three times. Now, if we wanted to become Muslim today, we'd up it to five, okay? But we'll just go with what the Jews did. They did three times a day. They would gather and pray. And we're following that example and why would you do that? It's so that we remain in uh, the awareness of God's presence in our life. Now, I use an app called IR or Inner Room. 
in a room and there's other apps that you can get or you could set reminders on your phone however whatever works for you but I want that reminder you know my life gets busy it's one way today it's another way tomorrow at work and I want don't you want to know that Christ is with you and you're with Christ throughout the day can you make it throughout the day without him I cannot and when I do that's when I do my worst that's when I'm at my worst and believe me Mary knows about all that see she gets to live with me and see me at my worst and if you're if you live with somebody you're married to somebody you know what we're talking about okay it's one thing to be friends with somebody it's another thing to live with them then you then you see all the stuff that they were hiding while you were dating or while you're just you know having a casual uh, acquaintance all the things they were suppressing you can't suppress it forever and they, these are the things we want Christ to help us with we're not going to do that guys with a prayer one you know a casual prayer life we need to increase our prayer life and I believe if we do that as a group here incredible things will start to take place here in Kent Ohio I really believe that it will happen in Aurora it's going to happen in Parma it's going to happen in Talmadge it's going to happen in Cuyahoga Falls it's going to happen in Mogador it's anybody I left out here? It's going to happen all over the place, guys. In Cleveland, yeah. And how Kent, Akron, wherever we are, wherever you work, wherever you live, if your prayer life changes, guys, it's going to change. Well, let's just talk about that, okay? I got way ahead of myself. I just gave you a little one of those trailers, you know. That was a that was a sermon trailer. So the most important question that you can ask about your life, I believe, today is who do you worship? Who do you worship? We, I believe we were all worshiping God here a moment ago. That's one way to worship. And I like when we do group worship when we're together. But I'm going to just say that everybody has something or someone that they worship. That thing or person, by the way, controls your life. So whatever you worship controls your life. So by worshiping and adoring God, our Father, what happens is we become set free from slavery and bondage. Aren't you glad for that? When we worship Him and we turn our lives over to Him, it sets us free from the bondages of sin from the slavery of sin in this world and lifts us up to heavenly places. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, and read this section of Scripture again about the Lord's Prayer. I want to read Jesus' words in the King James Version, you know, the one that the apostles used, all right? Here we go. And when thou prayest... Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. 
Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So, let's say this real strong together from this point on. Ready? After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Jesus went on to say, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So there's the complete teaching that Jesus gave the multitudes on prayer. He wanted everyone that was a follower of him. He wanted, him they, he wanted them to know what he knew about praying. What he had learned and used about praying while he was a, a human being. So we talked about our father a lot last week. Exclusively actually about what that means that when we come before him and how we can even say that and how that was not even said ever by the Jews. They didn't pray. They didn't have that kind of relationship until Jesus said that. You know, they were servants of a powerful God. They were minions. They were, you know, bowing in fear and all this. Powerful God, all-knowing God. They had all these words to describe God. But none of them were father. So we can come before him because he is our father. But today I want to talk about that next part. This is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer in verse 9. And it simply says, hallowed be thy name or hallowed be thy name. So how many times have you heard somebody use the word hallowed this past week? It's amazing, isn't it, how often it never shows up? Hallowed, yeah? He just heard it, okay? Or how about a text message, you know? I'm sure you get that all the time, and there's probably one of those memes or something for hallowed, right? No, it's just not one of these words. You probably never hear this word. It's probably never used in a sentence in your life. And so sometimes when we read Scripture, and I will tell you, they, in most of the versions that you find out there, they use the word hallowed. They didn't change it. They didn't translate it. They went, it's the same as the King James, hallowed. Sometimes they use the word holy instead, and we'll talk about that. So it's kind of hard for us maybe to understand this little part of the prayer, this first petition, hallowed or holy, is your name. So let's look at some commentaries here that might open it up from some well-known uh, Christian authors, men who have preached and studied the Word of God way more than I have. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm sure you've not heard of him because he's not a television preacher. But he is a former minister of Westminster Chapel in London. 
And he said the word hallowed means to sanctify or to revere or to make and keep holy. A lot there with that word hallowed, to sanctify. There's another word that we don't use every day. So he went on to say to revere or to sanctify is to set apart, to make and keep holy. So this single word can accurately describe the nature of God or his holiness. Holiness is that other word that we don't hear used very much in our culture, but I think we're all concerned with holiness. Everyone. I think everyone on this planet is concerned with holiness, whether we realize it or not. And I'm going to prove that. <laughs> all right. So what does holy mean? I, I said already what hallowed means to be set apart. Holy means to be set apart. Means to isolate or keep something separate for a special purpose. Do you have things in your life like that? Things in your house? Oh no, we don't use that China. That's holy China. That's hallowed China. That's only when certain guests come over. We do not use that for the Super Bowl. Okay, that is used with a soup bowl. All right. And all those extra spoons and forks. But it's not used for just anything, kids. You don't put your cereal in there. All right. You don't put it in the microwave or I'll skin you alive. All right. So set apart means to isolate or keep separate for a purpose. For instance, we set apart days like December 25th. What's that? We set apart that day to celebrate the birth of Christ. That's a good example, isn't it? That day is special. I don't care who you are. You get that day off whether you worship Christ or not. You get that day off at work in most places. It's a national holiday. We have national holidays. We have Martin Luther King Day. We have Fourth of July. We have Labor Day, Memorial Day. These are days that are set apart for a special purpose. Aren't you glad for those days? I'm so glad the government established those days, you know, so you can have a day off and get paid in most cases. I do. I hope you do. So to hallow something is to make it the most important thing in your life. I think mothers hallowed their children. Sorry, guys, but when those babies come along, you ain't number one right now. <laughs> I won't say you're number two, but <laughs> it feels like it some days, doesn't it? <laughs> Did I just say that? To hallow some things that make the most important thing in your life, it's to worship that thing or that person. To make it hallow is to worship it. I said that we're all concerned. Remember, I said this. I believe the entire everybody, no matter who you are, I believe we're all concerned with holiness or hallowing something, whether we realize it or not. I said that. I was going to prove it, right? So what did I mean that we all hallow something? I came across a guy who wasn't a Christian. I looked at it a lot about his life. It's kind of a sad life, actually. But he was an incredibly smart writer. And if you're into his type of short stories and books and things that he wrote, you know, he's just a really important person in our 
uh, society as far as that goes. His name is David Foster Wallace. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. And he gave this commencement speech at Kenyon College. You ever heard of Kenyon College in the state of Ohio? Probably not. It's small. And in 2005, he gave this speech. And here he is speaking to these graduates. If you can go online and find his commencement speech and listen to it, it's in, you, know, you can hear a recording of it on YouTube. It's really, really good. But I'm just going to read this one small part. And here's what he said to the graduates, right? Very smart people that were graduating from Kenyon College. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, and then he goes on and you know lists all the different relig- religions and even New Age and stuff, that, you know, the spiritual type things that you could worship. He said, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. So he's saying if you don't if you don't pick some sort of God or spiritual being in your life, if you worship anything besides something higher than you, it will pretty much eat you alive. Now, I said he's not a Christian, so he's allowing for all kinds of religion, right? He goes on and says, if you worship money and things, listen, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real life meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. And on one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. I think Wallace is saying whatever you worship, you will serve. Do you hear that? Whatever you decide to worship, and one important thing in the long speech that he gave, and it's really, it's really great. In the long speech, he's talking about that most of us worship by default. We don't even think about it. We just end up worshiping what we worship by default, and a lot of us worship ourselves by default. Because we become the most important person in our universe. Oh, you just got to read that whole thing. It's so good. I won't go through all that. But whatever you worship, you will serve that. And it will dictate how you live your life. You probably remember Bob Dylan's song, Serve Somebody. I won't go through all, what, six, seven, eight verses. It's a really great song. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of true, too. He got a Grammy. Did you know that for that album? Slow Train Coming? That's a pretty big deal 
Did you know Elvis's only Grammy came from his, one of his gospel albums? His only Grammy ever, rock and roll, king of rock and roll, only got one Grammy from his gospel album. Well, you know Bob Dylan, a Jewish guy that came to know the Lord? Yeah, guess what? He got a Grammy for this album. You should listen to it sometime. It's fantastic. Slow Train Coming came out in 1979. Oh, I'm sorry. Some of you weren't born yet. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I need backup. Serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Thank you. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Oh, man. Yeah, give yourselves a big hand for the backups. That was just one of his verses. That's another great, that's another, something else. It's out on YouTube. Go listen to it. It's a, it's, a, it's a great song. He recorded that at Muscle Shoals, which if you know anything about that, that's where some of the greatest rock and roll hits of our time were ever recorded. But what he says is whatever you worship, you will serve. You've got to serve somebody. And it may be the devil. It may be something bad, wicked, evil. Or it may be something good. The Lord but you will serve somebody. He found that out, didn't he? Whatever you worship, we all have something or someone we worship, something or someone we regard as hallowed in our lives. So whatever you worship will completely end up controlling your view of yourself and the world around you. How you view yourself and how you view everything else around you is tainted, I don't know, let's, let's talk about something weird. My dad, when I was going through his stuff, I found these blue blocker glasses. Have you ever had, seen those? They're yellow lenses, and they fit, over your, they fit over your current glasses. That's how big they are. So I took them to work because my eyes were bothering me, and I thought this might help me with the computer screen because I know they make filters for computers, and I think it's the same thing, only they're clear. They're more discreet. These are ugly. They're like big yellow lenses. You look like you got bug eyes. And if you've ever, I've used those for golf before. They're kind of, it's kind of interesting when you go golfing. And I've used it for driving because it removes the glare. But the weird thing about when you wear them is it does, it filters out all the blue. Which I guess is what causes the glare or something. I don't understand. We probably have smarter people in the room that understand this. So when I look at things, the color, if you take the blue out of stuff, you know, your primary colors, you have a very monochrome-looking world. The, it just changes. If you're into photography or art, you know what I'm talking about. You know, if you remove one of the primary colors there, it, it, everything just kind of becomes bland-looking. And that's how this looks. And it's just kind of weird. It's like watching an old science fiction movie where they were trying different things in special effects like the red planet if you ever saw that one yeah and it's like whole scenes were just like they used a filter on it and it was all like red looking because they were trying to make you think it was on mars you can't see the color blue 
Everything has this strange tint and hue to it. And in the same way, in the same way, what we worship, who we worship, filters our view of everything in our life. Our self-image, our relationships, our goals, it begins to affect everything in our life. And whatever we adore most, whatever our hearts most desire will influence the way we approach every single thing in our life. So why do we need, here's a good question that I thought maybe you might ask. Why do we need to hallow God's name? Isn't he holy already? So why would Jesus say we need to hallow the name of the Lord? So look to some great people for answers on this. I look to Augustine, and he wrote this. This is prayed. This part here in the Lord's Prayer is prayed for not as if the name of God were not already holy, but that it may be held holy by men. That God may so become known to them that they shall reckon nothing more holy and which they are more afraid of offending. So it's for you and me. Jesus knew that we would have an issue remembering who needs to be hallowed in our life. That all these other things, even our own person, would start to be elevated in our life and they would snatch away what is really holy. So proclaiming God's name as holy is just a reminder that there is nothing more holy on this planet or off this planet. Nothing else is worthy of our worship. Hallowed also communicates power. And I think Jesus did not want us to forget there's power in the name of our God. There's power in the name of our God. And this word, the, the word power has gotten a bad rap lately, you know, over the last couple thousands of years. Because it's been tainted with abuses of power. And the word power starts feeling like a negative thing. Well, power can be negative, but can also be very positive. How about the power that's running the lights in here? That's a positive thing, isn't it? Otherwise, we'd be sitting in the cold, in the dark right now. But because we have power, people can now watch us. We can send a signal through uh, the Internet, and they can receive it because of the power. That's a positive thing. And you know what? There's power in motors, engines, right? That's, that's positive because it gets me around. It gets me to work to the grocery store, to the doctor, all the places, and to the grandkids. I almost forgot, you know, who, who we've ended up worshiping lately, all right? So the, all to the seven different grandkids, we could get to those different places. I, that's, a, that's a powerful thing. Whether you have an electric car or you have a gas car, car, it's a powerful thing that's under that hood. Get you there and all that you're taking. So in other, in other words, power helps us to do things, helps us to go places. And power is also something invisible that's granted to people, isn't it? In our country, we vote power to people. We are giving you power temporarily to do something, to be a public servant. You're going to be the president for four years. You're going to be a congressman for, what are they, four years or two? And then what's senators? Six, eight? 
No, they have to be voted back in. So they, they have terms. So six years? Yeah. So, you know, we're temporarily giving you power by voting you in. That's a power. That is definitely a power. And the whole idea is they are public servants and they're supposed to serve their constituents. Now, I will say this. When we came up with this, whoever came up with this, and it was long before the United States, trust me, those were good intentions, but it doesn't always happen, right? They don't always end up serving our best interests, do they? But God's power is not like the power that we're talking about here that's abuse that's abused and used to hurt people and control and manipulate people. That is not like God's power at all. God is not just the biggest, baddest, strongest guy on the block. His power is the power that sustains all that exists. Everything, everyone else that has power, has their power, don't forget, on loan from the greatest power broker ever, and that's God. I don't know if you have watched this series on Disney. It was, what was that? Wanda. Anybody watch that? What was that called? WandaVision? Anybody watch WandaVision? And the amazing thing about this, she's known as the Red Witch, okay, in the Marvel lore. Um, so, but, you know, her name's Wanda, and she creates this bubble of reality. It's actually her fantasy of what she'd like her life to be. And her power is so great that she creates the visuals, she creates people that have random events going, but she can control them at any time. She had this whole thing created out of her mind into matter. She even recreated her husband that was dead and brought him back, this, this being that he was. That's a lot of power. And when I see that, it reminds me of God's great power is greater than that. Because if there was a being like Wanda, the wit, the red witch, her power would have to be on loan from God, okay? Because God keeps this universe, guys, places we don't even know, places our telescopes haven't even reached yet. The light hasn't even reached us from those planets yet. A universe so vast, and God has it all in place, and He set things in motion in a perfect way. It's absolute. That's power now. Isn't that power? His power is the power that sustains everything. If you have any power, trust me, it's from God. So true power is not the power to control or manipulate. It's the power to love and enable, sort of like parents and teachers do. Think about it. Like a good parent or a good teacher, they don't use their power to control and manipulate. They use their power to nurture, provide resources, and help people grow. Aren't you glad for good parents and good teachers? Absolutely. So anything you worship will end up controlling and dictating your life to you. That's what you call addictive behavior. When something controls your life and begins to dictate what you're going to do, that's an addiction, everybody. And eventually, as David Foster Wallace, the guy that wrote that 
commencement speech, he observed the things we worship will eat us alive if it's not divine. You worship anything else but a divine God and it will eat you alive. Why? Because the things you worship demand that we die for them. Isn't that where addictions end up? Addictive behaviors, don't they usually end up in the demise of the person that's addicted to that? Because it eats every resource. It eats every their mind, their time. It takes them out of their family. It takes them out of their job. It takes them out of who they were. It transforms them. If you serve wealth, you will end up sacrificing your entire life on wealth's altar, guys. And the funny thing is, you'll probably lose your wealth. If you serve popularity and fame, you're going to spend your whole life enslaved to that until it demands your life. Just look at the stories of countless rock and roll stars, country stars, famous sports figures, Hollywood figures. Guys, they, their life becomes what they worship. They start talking about themselves in the third person. When Larry feels like doing it, Larry will do it. Larry thinks that, are you kidding me? Who are you talking about? You're standing right in front of your, inside yourself. And here's a sad thing. That guy, Wallace, that I mentioned, though he knew the truth about worship, his life was a life of a lot of darkness and depression that he struggled with and he never succeeded in living out the truth in fact he ended up hanging himself on his back porch eventually very smart individual person that knew the truth but couldn't live the truth out it just shows that knowledge is no substitute for clinging to Jesus you could know the truth guys you can know the truth, and we know that the truth will set us free only when we receive that truth. Just knowing it doesn't set you free. Receiving and applying the truth. And God, Jesus is the only person that we can worship who doesn't demand that we die for Him, but He willingly died for us. Anything else you worship is going to demand your life, but Jesus gave His life for you. How awesome! Why wouldn't we worship Jesus? Everything I've said today may sound like nonsense to you. Somebody may be listening today. I think he's, this guy's crazy. And maybe you can't see what or who you are worshiping. But let's look at this scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. If you think this is foolishness, Look where you're headed. The Bible is very clear. When we preach the truth of Jesus Christ and it's not received, that's a path to death. Did you know that? When you worship anything or anyone but God, it's a path to death. But unto us which are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. He is enabled us he strengthened us like a good teacher like a parent he's lifted us up from where we were and this is how god displays his power 
He sends his one and only son to this shameful death on the cross on behalf of the entire world. The question I have is, are you willing to worship the one who loves you? The one who used his great power to bring forgiveness. This is God. He could have used his power in any way, but he used his power to bring us the answer. And if we worship him by accepting his son, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of love of all time, then we can call him father, our father. We make him hallowed in our life when we receive him. We commit to worship him in spirit and in truth. We commit to love the Lord with all of our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength. When we do that, I'm telling you, this is the way. There is no other way. There isn't another religion. There isn't another way. There's no other self-help. There's not another path you can take. You must worship God. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father God, I pray for those hearing this today, whether they're in this building or they're far away, maybe watching through our live stream, or maybe they're, maybe they're not that far away. Maybe they're right here in our town. God, I pray that you would touch our hearts. Don't let us default to worship ourselves or worship something in our life or worship someone. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. You are holy. You alone are holy. And I pray, God, that every person hearing this today, this is the gospel. This is the power of the gospel when we receive Christ. When we humble ourselves and say that our way is not the way. Our way is not what works. There is no other way but Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray you are now speaking to some hearts and minds right now to totally surrender to you. Totally surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and his ways. We ask, do your work. Transform. Transform. Right now we ask, Holy Spirit, do a work in some lives. We do these live streams not just for the fun of it, not just because it's a great idea. We do this so that we can reach people that maybe we'll never, never, never meet. Maybe it's impossible that we'll meet. But you can meet Jesus today. Jesus is knocking, so to speak, on the door of your heart. Right now, he's asking for you to receive him. That's exactly what you need to do. You need to answer that call. And you need to receive him. You need to worship him today. I pray that you do. I pray that you do. Father God, just touch these hearts today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want us to close and we'll sing this prayer today together. And um, then I want to say in advance, I want to thank those who we're watching live stream today that I want to thank you for joining us. And if you could do us a little favor, we don't ask you to send money in or anything like that. But if you can comment, if you can share our video, you can like it. You know, if you want to send in a prayer request, 
through our website, through Facebook, Instagram, our Spotify, or one of our other um, podcasts, then we, we sure would appreciate it. You know what? It just helps to spread the, the word on uh, the message that we're trying to get out. And we sure would appreciate that if you can help us with that. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the next part of the prayer, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. So hopefully you'll be able to join us. And uh, if not by live stream, maybe in person. All right, let's stand and let's sing this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power Thank you for joining us today. The original version of this message can be found on our website at thelightingkent.com. For more information, you can also reach out to us at info at thelightingkent.com or message us on Facebook.